ultimately machine learning should be a guide for policymakers and for other stakeholders. It shouldn't be telling us what to do without explaining it. And this is really an area where the research needs to, to step up, understand exactly why decisions are being made and how confident the algorithm is in those decisions. Welcome to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Andrew Holland. This week, we're digging into how artificial intelligence and machine learning can impact the fight against climate change. I talked with David Rolnick, a professor of computer science at McGill University. He's received funding from the U.S. National Science Foundation for his work on deep learning theory and the properties of neural networks. He's also the chair of climatechange.ai, an initiative that looks at how these tools can help fight climate change. We started our conversation by defining AI and machine learning, and then finished it with an admonition that these are just tools for decision makers, not a replacement for policy. Personally, I was relieved that the computers won't replace us yet. You can dig deeper into what we talked about at the website, climatechange.ai, and I hope you enjoy the show. Professor David Rolnick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm really excited to do this, this podcast because we can finally answer a question that, that I've had in my mind for a long time and have been afraid to ask. What is artificial intelligence? What do we mean by machine learning? <laughs> yeah, well, those are big questions. Right. Um, I guess I should start out by saying that AI doesn't mean cyborgs or sentient computers. It basically doesn't mean you might have seen in newspaper headlines. Um, it basically just means any algorithm that does something automatically in place of a human. For example, uh, like a chess AI might go through many possible moves exhaustively, working out which one leads to the greatest probability of success. So that's not very smart by a human definition, but it works. And that's something you mm -hmm. see a lot in AI. So machine learning is a type of AI where the algorithm isn't told exactly what to do at the start. Like for example, that chess algorithm was exactly specified. Instead a machine learning algorithm looks at lots of data and finds patterns that help it to solve the problem. In the past few years, machine learning algorithms have become very popular, uh, partly thanks to a set of algorithms called deep learning. These are also called artificial neural networks. So you might've heard that term. The reason for the use of the word neural there, by the way, is that they are loosely inspired by neurons, so nerve cells in the brain. But these algorithms are still not smart in anything like a human sense. So don't get the, don't get the sense that these are actually brains. They are nowhere close. Um, so the way that deep learning or any other machine learning algorithm typically works, the paradigm for this is that first you train it on a lot of data to perform some task. And you give it the answer to the problem you're trying to solve for that data. And then when it sees some new data, it tries to predict what the task. And then when it sees some new data, it tries to predict what the answer is. So, so basically, so there's a, a kind of a difference here between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Artificial intelligence is the broader subject of algorithms and going far back to chess computers and stuff like that. And then machine learning is a more recent phenomenon that has been able to, to build on that and start to not think is the wrong term, but start to be predictive instead of just... Yeah, exactly. Though I should say that machine learning has also been around for many years, but it really has taken off 
in the past few years because of some of these recent innovations that have made it possible to be very effective and scale very well. Are those innovations really just about computational power or is it, uh, is it new, new changes in, in design of these? And both of those two things. Okay. Some, some of this has been a result of better hardware, but some of this has been just better algorithmic innovations at the conceptual level. Interesting. So we're, we're actually getting to a point now, that, and, and this does seem like a relatively recent thing, where machine learning is having impacts on, on real life. Yes, absolutely. Really across society in all yeah. kinds of ways that you probably know about and in many that you don't. Can you give an example? So for example, machine learning is being used uh, to do automatic diagnosis of cancer. It's not widely in production at this point, but this is something that it actually is very good at. It's not replacing doctors, but it's providing a tool that enables doctors to have something else at their disposal. So, so your work focuses on, you've, you've done some, some work and papers on AI and machine learning and climate change. And looking at your, your work on climate change and machine learning, you've definitely thought both on the predictive side of predicting weather patterns and climate, but also thinking through mitigation, how to reduce emissions and how to optimize energy systems, right? Yeah, absolutely. Climate change is a, is a huge multifaceted problem, obviously. That's yeah. one of the reasons why it's so hard. There are many different things that have to be done in parallel. Right both across society and really across the world in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that's mitigation. And in mm -hmm. order to respond to the effects of climate change, so adaptation. Machine learning is a very broadly powerful tool. And I think a takeaway from my work and the work of other people in this area is that it should be in our toolkit. Right. Some of those, those many actions that need to be taken can be accelerated or enabled using machine learning as one piece of the puzzle. Interesting. So I know that U.S. government, national security agencies within the U.S. government, government intelligence and military have also started to think about and look at how artificial intelligence and machine learning can help us identify threats and work to mitigate threats. Of course, here at the American Security Projects, we've identified climate change as, a, as one of the long-term national security threats. And as has the U.S. Department of Defense, the intelligence community through their, their annual intelligence estimates and such like that. But what I think is, is interesting is that we can start using the, this machine learning to look at those interactions, right? To start thinking about the areas of the world and the, the areas of security where climate change could interact with national security threats, whether it's threats to bases or, or threats to national security, like through migrating people or so, so, such like that. Have you seen areas like that where, where the military or, or national security complex could start using these things? Yeah, so maybe I can give a quick overview of some of, some of the areas where I see, which I see as recurring themes for how machine learning can be useful in addressing climate change in different mm -hmm. kinds of ways. So the first theme is system optimization. And that's just because machine learning is very good at extracting patterns from data and using those patterns. One of the ways this can be useful is optimizing a complex system to make it more efficient. So in climate change applications, this can often mean reducing the energy that is needed. 
So one mm -hmm. example of this is reducing the energy needed to heat and cool a building. Google recently designed a machine learning algorithm that controls the, the air conditioning of its data centers. Data centers need a lot of cooling. Right. This algorithm has actually enabled Google to use much less energy in controlling the temperature because the machine learning can pick up on and act on patterns much more subtle than those that would be used by human operators. And versions of this are actually available for home use as smart thermostats. Uh, there's huh. huge potential for this kind of optimization to be expanded, in particular, as you can imagine, for enormous industrial processes that are using a lot of energy. Uh, likewise, for reducing food waste, where there's massive inefficiency in how food is ordered, transported, and consumed, and machine learning can help, for example, predict what people will consume and reduce the need for overstock. Something that's worth bearing in mind here is that reducing the energy needed to produce something is not always beneficial. It can actually be counterproductive if it drives up the consumption of that product. This is called the Jevons paradox. And this right. is one of the reasons why it's really essential in every one of the, these applications that I'm going to be talking about to work together with experts in the topic in question to make sure that the AI and machine learning are really making a difference in the right way. So that's the first overall theme. Another theme that we see time and again is forecasting. So machine learning can be used to predict what's going to happen next based on historical patterns in data. One example of this is in the electrical grid where it's important to predict both supply, so how much power is going to be produced and also demand, how much power people are going to need. Effective forecasts of power supply are essential to the increased adoption of solar and wind power since mm -hmm. sun and wind vary from minute to minute. And electrical grid operators obviously need to know that there's going to be enough power to meet the demand, otherwise the lights go out. Yes. Currently, the way this is handled actually involves spinning reserves, and that means keeping a fossil fuel plant idling, as yep. it were, in case the wind dies down or the sun goes behind a cloud. Machine learning can reduce the need for spinning reserves, so reducing greenhouse gas emissions. No, knowing demand in advance is also really useful because it enables demand response. So demand patterns can sometimes be shifted. For example, factories or electric vehicle charging Shifting uh, the time of this to take advantage of when power supply exceeds demand can also help in setting prices effectively to reduce overall emissions. Another theme that you see time and again is remote sensing, and that's gaining insights from satellite or aerial imagery, processing these images automatically and faster than, than people could do. For example, to map infrastructure in parts of the world where there isn't data on where the elements of the electrical grid are, for example, or where roads are. Trying to understand infrastructure with a view to developing, for example, better, better regulation or just other kinds of, of actionable, other kinds of, of actions on climate related issues. Monitoring deforestation and other sources of greenhouse gas emissions like leaks in natural gas pipelines, pinpointing those automatically and in real time can be really, really important. So basically taking yeah. massive amounts of data, you know, so, so exactly forestation, taking massive amounts of satellite pictures of the Amazon rainforest, for example, and to be able to tell, you know, the machine can tell where deforestation has taken place. Yeah, exactly just a total clear cut or something like that. Exactly. It's very good at processing large amounts of data in a way that, so you can think of machine learning as really, you shouldn't think of this as doing something that's vastly beyond what we can imagine. You can think of this as a way to pick out patterns in huge amounts of data or to do some things that humans can do only typically a little worse and a lot faster. <laughs> right. Right. I, I like that. A little worse and a lot faster. Instead of having an army 
of analysts to, to pour over all the, the satellite data that comes in. It can cull down to what the most important satellite data is, which it could then, at its best, right, this works in tandem with exactly yeah it's not it's not removing the people from the loop it's really providing tools for people and another another set of applications i think really emphasizes that to me which is accelerated science so supposedly thomas edison tried several thousand different materials for the filament of a, of a light bulb right. before finding the right one right so whether or not this story is actually true it's certainly the case that the science requires a lot of experimentation in general and that's often driven in part by trial and error and in part by human intuition. And machine learning is actually sometimes able to speed up this process, not by replacing experiments or scientists, but by suggesting good candidate experiments, either materials that might be successful or parameters for running the experiment. And in the process, it's essentially automating human intuition. Machine right. learning is increasingly being used in this way actually across science, including in drug discovery, but some examples of ways that it can be used in climate change, for example, are batteries, which are currently yeah. holding back the use of renewable energy uh, because solar and wind power are variable and you need to store them to provide a constant source yes. of power. Solar panel materials like perovskites and electrofuels, and some applications like air travel, traditional batteries just don't work as well because they don't have as much energy density as jet fuel, which means mm -hmm. it's important moving forward to come up with efficient ways to generate fuels from electricity, since that electricity can come from renewable sources. So in all these, in all these cases, innovation can really be accelerated by machine learning, which is smoothing the process of, of experimentation, but isn't replacing it. Interesting. Now, I want to I talk about one area we've talked about that we often highlight as an area that is threatened by climate change, military base that in, in the Hampton Roads region, largest naval base in the world. And we often say that it is very much threatened by sea level rise. And we know that and we, we know with pretty good long-term predictive capacity, how much seas will rise in a hundred years or something like that. How can machine learning and artificial intelligence more precisely get that prediction down? How does, the, how does artificial intelligence help in this predictive capacity beyond what, you know, models that have been done for decades have, have been able to foresee? Yeah, so let me first address the general setting of flood risk prediction. Yeah, great. And so in general, there are a lot of heavily developed areas around the world which lie just above sea level. And they're yes. increasingly in danger as the climate changes, both All because the sea yeah. level is rising yeah. and because powerful storms are getting more common. Yes. Um, so actually, many places don't have precise elevation maps. So there was a major paper which came out recently that used machine learning in order to calculate exactly which areas are at risk under different climate scenarios. And it found that several hundred million more people are in danger than was previously thought around the world. And it pinpointed particular areas of major cities that were in danger. Oh. Well, I'll leave you to think about the potential geopolitical implications of this kind of threat. With reference to Hampton Roads specifically and the defense, uh, defense of coastal locations in general, there's, there's no getting around the fact that a lot of civil and environmental engineering and urban planning needs to be done. Yeah. There are some relevant applications of, of machine learning. In particular, it can be useful in predictive maintenance, working out when and where systems may fail. For example, in an extreme event, and this is the case for everything from nuclear power plants to roads to the electrical grid overall. And 
I want to call particular attention to this set of applications because they're not sexy. Like you don't get a medal for preventing infrastructure from breaking because generally nobody knows about it. But it's right. really important. Right, right, right. So the, the idea is that you can be predictive about it and address the problem before it gets there. And, and exactly. Prevention is always cheaper than rebuilding afterwards. Yes. Now, one of the things that I've often been skeptical about with machine learning, with artificial intelligence and, and algorithms in general is the ability to predict human systems, sociology. We do base things on the past, but humans, we have free will, right? How predictive and how capable are machine learning algorithms at predicting human responses, human systems. One of the things you, you talk about is, is migration in, in your climate change AI paper. Is, is, there, is there ways that we can be more predictive about things like migration or, or even conflict, civil conflict or stuff like that? So I think that ultimately a lot of human issues are not in their origin human issues. Mm -hmm. And so there are many ways that one can have an impact by addressing the root causes. So there are obviously many places around the world that are already being hit hard by climate change through right. droughts or storms or spread of disease or other factors. Yeah. And these are often areas of the world that are already disadvantaged and climate change is exacerbating these existing inequities. So one application of machine learning here is in remote sensing, for example, predicting agricultural yield based on satellite imagery and helping governments to make decisions that avoid catastrophes such as famines. Or another set of applications is in responding to natural disasters after they happen. A couple of ways that machine learning can be useful here is by using aerial or satellite imagery, again, to identify, identify highly impacted areas or by sifting through social media to find posts indicating someone who may need help. This actually is, is being used and it does, right. it does save lives. You know, the, the problem, of course, it, it, just like everything, this is a tool and there has to be a political will to actually use it. You talk about remote sensing for famine and stuff like that. I remember in 2010, there was a warning that went out that Syria and the Euphrates Valley was experiencing a famine, that it would, it would only get worse. And of course, nobody did anything about it. And people, people migrated off their land. And, and then when the, the Syrian civil war started, there was all these people ready to revolt and go against the Syrian government. And, you know, we often highlight that as one of the, the threat multiplier impacts of climate change. So I guess this really isn't a question for you, but it, it's something just kind of a, a, an observation that unfortunately we can have all the best tools in the world, but we still have to have the political will to act on them. Yeah, I, I would very much second that. But I would also say that one of the takeaways for me there, and maybe that's partly me coming from academia, is that it's really fundamentally important to work with the people who need these insights. Right? Mm -hmm. So an academic might publish a paper on how there's going to be a famine somewhere, but unless you're working with that government to develop policies that can respond to that, that's not really going to be as impactful. And really just making sure that the insights are developed, not just presented to the people who will use them, but really developed in conjunction with the people who will use them. And that's the case, totally. whether these are insights which are going to be used here in the US or elsewhere in the world, 
because there's quite often a gap between the people who have the tools and the people who can actually use the insights that those tools generate. You almost have to, you have to develop it with the end user in mind. You have to, exactly you have to what they actually would want to know and, and what they, they would find actionable. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. So I, I, have a, I have another kind of skeptics question that maybe you can get some light on here. AI, machine learning, it does, it uses a huge amount of power, right? CPU power to, to, to drive, to think through these algorithms, to think through the, this deep learning. At some point, is there a diminishing returns where if we use, you know, gigawatt hours of electricity to solve some of these problems, is it, you know, maybe offsetting some of the benefits that it could have had? So I think there are several things to unpack here. And the first one is that most machine learning doesn't actually require much power to run. Okay. I run many of my models on my laptop. It's okay. just a normal laptop. There has okay. recently been some soul searching within the AI community itself about some of the very large models that are used during research and in some very specific applications, but that's actually not applicable for, for many machine learning models that are relevant for climate change applications. Huh. So the second thing is that remember how every machine learning model is first trained on data before it can be used. And so for those very big machine learning models that do exist, for example, those that are trained to learn all of human language, and you can imagine why they're so big. Yeah. Energy is used mostly during training, and that's a one-off. Once the model is trained, you can use it as many times as you want, and using it requires vastly less energy than it took to train it. Nice. I think in general, machine learning and AI algorithms have far more ability to affect climate change through the applications that they're used in, either positive or negative applications than through the direct impact of running the algorithm. Now, I mentioned negative applications, and there are actually many of those. Yeah. yeah Key among them is probably the use of machine learning to accelerate oil and gas discovery. That's arguably hurting the climate quite significantly. Uh, machine learning is just a tool, right? It's not intrinsically either good or bad. We as a society get to decide. To take another example, self-driving cars are an application of machine learning that will likely save lives in vehicle accidents but they may make climate change worse if they lead to more total driving. So I'm overall hopeful that society will choose to prioritize the many applications of machine learning that are beneficial for the climate while reducing emphasis given to other applications. And then there's one more aspect that I want to touch on here, which is the climate cost of data overall. And that can yeah. be quite considerable as our society produces more and more data. So collecting, mm -hmm. storing, and sharing data obviously has costs, including energy. And in some situations, those costs can be significant. Now, if you have existing data already, running machine learning to get insights from it is generally pretty cheap. Hmm. But if we don't have that data already, it's sometimes worth thinking about the full life cycle costs of setting up a new data acquisition and labeling pipeline. Sure. And a lot of the big data companies have also put in pretty ambitious renewable energy targets for their data centers and, and such like that as well. But even still, they are huge energy hogs and, and it's just just the fact, fact of life in, in the 21st century, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what are some things that maybe people haven't thought, thought about some? How can the U.S. government and, you know, how can we, we more effectively utilize AI, utilize machine learning? as we, we fight against climate change here. What, what are new things kind of, what's the cutting edge that, that maybe haven't yet been thought about? 
I think overall there is huge potential for the US government and, and military to incorporate machine learning into strategies for tackling climate change. There are various points of leverage here. The first is direct applications, either where there is the possibility to save a large amount of greenhouse gas emissions or to help the US and the world respond to climate change. So I've already talked about quite a few, but let's go through a couple more of these direct applications. Uh, so the first being supply chains. Obviously, the US military and the government in general has a massive system of infrastructure for transporting goods. Yes. Machine learning can be useful really at every level in making this energy efficient, as well as resilient against disruptions. Machine learning can be used at a micro level to help pack goods efficiently, but it can also be important in problems like scheduling, allowing different modes of transportation to work well together, as well as in choosing suppliers that minimize energy costs. Ensuring the robustness of supply chains is also increasingly important as, as climate change threatens broad disruptions to society. And that's also something where machine learning can come into play. Um, another application is electricity systems, where we've already seen a number of applications of machine learning, for example, forecasting how much power is going to be produced at a given place at a given time with very high spatial and temporal resolution. So what's called, what's called now casting, mm -hmm. as well as how much power is going to be needed and these are essential elements of an effective and resilient grid, especially for microgrids used by the military. Now, effective use of power in military buildings and data centers and associated industrial facilities is also a huge opportunity. And that can involve both demand response, so timing power consumption to meet supply, also reducing the total amount of power needed through efficient control algorithms that, that use machine learning. And then the second point of leverage that I see, in addition to direct applications, is in leading innovation. Now, obviously, the, the US is the second largest emitter of greenhouse gases around the world after China. And per capita, we're far higher than China. The military has the potential to lead innovation in important technologies that can be adopted across society, and both in the US and around the world. We've seen historically that investment in, in broadly useful technologies has often come from the military. And I think that implies some measure of responsibility for considering innovation in areas that have broadly positive societal impact in addition to their immediate applicability. And in leading innovations, the military has two really great advantages over the private sector. First, it can think long-term, and, and second, it can think pragmatically. So right. some of the kinds of innovation that are necessary here, especially in climate change adaptation, will, will have impacts many years down the road. As you've mentioned, there aren't always good incentives for developing those kinds of innovation through the private sector. And, and overall, we're seeing climate change increasingly really as an existential threat to many parts of society, which makes it very hard to price in using traditional methods. And then regarding pragmatism, I think we're all seeing how much excitement there is in AI within the private sector in investment and entrepreneurship. And, this is good for developments in some areas of technology, but it really tends to be concentrated in areas that look shiny and appeal to a small subset of society. Applications right. of AI like predictive maintenance really don't turn up on the list of hot new startups. Even yeah. though they save the country and the world huge amounts of money. Right, right, um, right. I, I guess I'd like to call attention to a few areas of machine learning research in particular that have very broad applicability across climate change application domains as well as other applications of importance to the US and society, and where innovation would have far-reaching impact. So the first of these is, is hybrid physical models, incorporating knowledge that we have about a problem, say a model of a physical system in the world, yeah. into a machine learning model to enable it to build the 
existing domain knowledge into the way that it learns. This is, for example, extremely useful in simulations. Now, yeah. there, are, there are many situations where we have a complicated model that simulates the physics of the real world, and it's completely accurate because it's based on physics, but it's very time intensive to compute because the physics is complicated. And machine learning can be used to come up with quick and dirty approximations of some of these models or, or pieces of these models to make them much faster, for example, in, in climate and weather models or in energy use models. Mm -hmm. And these kinds of hybrid physical models, which incorporate knowledge about the system, can really be essential here. Another overall theme for where innovation would really be essential is in tr what's called transfer learning, meta-learning, and few-shot learning. These are all different ways of learning in a situation where your data is, is changing. Now, machine learning is, is very good at learning from data, but it's very sensitive to the data you pick. If you train on images of one kind of cancer to identify tumors, then it's only going to find that one kind of cancer. Or maybe more subtly, if you take images only from a certain angle, it's not going to know what to do with images from another angle. And if you sure. give it biased data, then it will recreate those biases. This is actually dangerous in settings where a machine learning algorithm can appear to be objective. It's not any more objective than people because it's just trying to imitate people. Right. But in many situations, you have a data distribution that's changing. So you have data from, from one area and you'd like to transfer that insight to another area, or you'd like to learn from a, a smaller set of data to start with. And yeah. these kinds of methods like transfer learning and few shot learning can be really essential in, the, in these, these kinds of, of applications. And yeah. this is really relevant, I think, with climate change, too, because the data is changing. The, the future climate, the future weather systems won't necessarily be the same as the data set we have. It won't be that applicable too. from the past. So, so it's about changing and thinking through the future. That, that's really interesting and important to, to think about. Yeah, exactly. And these are really cutting edge areas of machine learning where it's really important to have innovations for a whole range of different climate applications. And one more that I want to mention actually yep. is interpretable machine learning and uncertainty quantification. So machine learning algorithms are often what's called black boxes. They don't really tell you why they came to a decision. They just tell you what that decision is. And in many applications, that's not acceptable. We need to know why the decision is being made or nobody is going to want to take that decision. Right. Uh, Ultimately, machine learning should be a guide for policymakers and for other stakeholders. It shouldn't be telling us what to do without explaining it. And this is really an area where the research needs to, to step up, understand exactly why decisions are being made and how confident the algorithm is in those decisions. That's important too, the, the confidence level, because you know, a lot of times what, what they're doing is it's, it's computing probabilities and saying what the best probability is but every time with probability and prediction is based on percentages. And I can tell you from experience that policymakers don't like to make decisions based on uncertainty. They want a yes or a no, a, a, a simple binary choice. And unfortunately, that's never the, the, the way it, it comes out, right? Well, I think that that's another reason why it's impo important to, to really incorporate expertise in these kinds of technologies into the decisions that are using them, rather than having these insights being presented from machine learning experts to policy experts. It's really important to get everybody in the same room so that everybody understands what, what, is, what is going on here. Yeah, really important. So one of the things 
that we always talk about here at, at the American Security Project is that, that we like to think about not just the problems of today and the headlines of today, but to think through what, what the headlines of the future are going to be like. And I think a lot of, lot of our conversation today has been future focused and talking about what's to come and, and what's the possible in the future. But, but what would you say is, is a headline that we, we should be working towards here? What, what are we thinking through? What, what's a headline that we, that we want to get to? So I think that for me, one of the, the key insights from working on machine learning for tackling climate change is that it's not just that machine learning isn't single-handedly going to solve climate change. It's that nothing is single-handedly going to solve climate change. It really takes all hands on deck. Everybody using what skills they have, identifying where those skills are most impactful, and listening to the people who have to make the decisions and will use these tools to shape society. Whether that is people in government or people in, in industry or other kinds of stakeholders, in some cases, individuals who will be hit very hard by climate change, the, the individual farmers who have needs and those needs can potentially be met by innovations moving forward. Now, I don't think that there is a single headline that captures the kind of change that's necessary to tackle climate change. But I think yep. that it, it requires something, something maybe better than a single headline, which is really a drawing together of many different kinds of tools, many different kinds of people, and many different kinds of goals to tackle a problem that is going to require all of them at once. I think that's a good call to action. As you say, it, everybody using their, their best particular skill set to deal with the problem. Policymakers being informed of the best decisions by the best available data. And certainly AI can, can help determine what that best available data is and, and inform those, those decisions and, and how to do that going forward. Yeah, I hope so. I think that's a great place to, to close out. Professor David Rolnick, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me.